let me uh, introduce myself to you and let you know why I'm here. So my name is Daniela. I am one of the co-founders of the nonprofit Yoga Farm Ithaca, along with Christopher and Jeannie. Um, I have been a death, bereavement, dying, and grief educator probably for almost 20 years. This is a topic, the topic of thanatology, the study the, of, of the physical science of death and dying, of the psychological aspects of death and dying, and the social and emotional aspects of death and dying. This has been a passion of mine for many, many years. I was, I found a deep connection and reverence for the philosophy. Uh, some people would say religion. Oftentimes it can be equally described as a philosophy of Tibetan Buddhism when I was, in, when I was an adolescent. What I, one of the many things that I appreciated about the, about the philosophy and the tradition was its emphasis on impermanence. It had an infinite emphasis on impermanence and change. Part of the philosophy and part of the practice in, in this tradition is to consciously meditate on your own impermanence, to consciously meditate and contemplate death, to consciously contemplate dying, your own mortality. For me, that came as a great comfort because it is one of the few things that we all, every human being, every sentient being will face. And I didn't find much in the way of education elsewhere. I didn't, I didn't notice anyone in, in public school uh, talking about or teaching about death education. I thought how odd that something so profound that affects us all so deeply and so intimately isn't taught. So I was very grateful that those practices, contemplations were a part of my daily practice. Now, what it, that practice doesn't do is remove the pain <laughs> of death and dying. It doesn't remove the challenges that accompany death and dying. However, it did afford me the ability to be clean with my grief when death came into my life. Every loss that came into my world, I was prepared to be truthful with the process. Death education, the con conversation about death and dying is designed to do a few things. 
first and foremost, it teaches us through direct experience to recognize change, change that always is. Now, some of the things that I'm going to be saying right now, on the mental level, you're going to say, well, yeah, of course, I know that. Yes, I know that. Yes, I know that. Yes, we do know that. The question is, how do we live it? Living aware of change that always is. Living aware and embodied of change that always is impacts how we treat ourselves and others. The more attuned you are about change and attuned can first perhaps have you completely resistant to it. It, it might horrify you. It might create tension. But again, we, we live primarily in a culture that reveres resisting change. We live in a culture full of messages that invite us to try to keep what it is we have that we like and want and to not live as um, a beautiful teacher, Omoda Ma would say, in the open hand. So the more aware we become and attuned, it's aware, awareness and attunement to change anywhere and everywhere we can notice it, the more it brings you into the living experience of impermanence. A beautiful example of impermanence um, is in, in the Tibetan tradition. There are other traditions that do this as well. I'm just going to reference this one. You may be familiar with, the mo with, with uh, a particular form of uh, artwork, and there's more that's going on in this than art are the Tibetan sand mandalas. You can look up videos on YouTube about the construction of sand mandalas. They're these very, very, very intricate designs. They're very symmetrical designs. Actually, what a sand mandala is in the Tibetan tradition is an aerial snapshot of a palace. Right? But if you took a palace and you smooshed it down and to be flat, and took a photo of it from above, that's what a sand mandala is. And you can imagine it rising up, then you have these beautiful palaces. Well, monks will take weeks, months to make these beautiful sand mandalas. And at the very end, probably in about a sum total of five minutes, swoosh. It's just wiped away. They take their hand and they rub it through it. And there's a whole process of the dismantling of the sand mandala. So there's the, 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 the genesis of it. It's sustained existence in the intermediary, right? There's the birth. 
There's that middle part, which is life. And then there's the disillusion of it, the releasing of it. And um, parts of it then are brought down to the nearest body of water in whatever town it was constructed. So it is so important that if you wish for yourself to have a more awake relationship with your own impermanence, you wanna start tracking change, rhythms, right? You see change in nature. You see change in the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror daily and what do you notice is different? And then notice your inner dialogue. Does it immediately go to like, oh, another line or oh, another, another silver or wow, another silver or yeah, another line. <laughs> Whatever it is, just notice your inner commentary. The quality of our inner dialogue will determine the quality of our relationship to our experience in the living moment, exactly as it is. So I invite you to start noticing what is your commentary as you notice change. Now, that's one of the purposes of conversations around death and dying is that so that we can become more attuned to change. Now, what does that afford us? Well, in, in, again, in the Tibetan tradition, there's a, a, a story of a, of a mother who is, who is beside herself with grief as she has lost her child. And she places the body of her child in front of the Buddha and says, please, I'll do anything to have you bring him back to life. And he says, well, first, before we even go on, in order to move forward, go and bring me a mustard seed back to the home that death hasn't touched. So she's like, oh, thank goodness. Thank you, thank you. And so she runs off, knocks on the first door. Please, please, um, I, 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 I need some help. I need a, I need a mustard seed from, from your home. Uh, the Buddha said he could help me. Um, I've had a tremendous loss. And they said, oh my gosh, God, I'm so sorry. I wish we could, I wish we could help you. However, um, uncle passed here uh, just six months ago. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. I must go on to the next house. Oh, no, we, we, oh God, I wish we could help you. And no, there was, um, we've had a loss recently here. And again, and again, and again. So she goes home to home. And as you can imagine, what's starting to really move from here to here, move her from her head to her heart, is that the awareness of change and impermanence brings us into the depth of our sacred heart. When we live as the awake and embodied expression, of awareness of change, of awareness 
that this is a unifying factor between every single being and earth, that affords you several things. When you really embody this, it radically impacts how you live your life. That is the point. It brings you into the balance of clarity of wisdom and the depth of compassion. When you let that penetrate you, and I mean penetrate you, it will profoundly influence how you treat yourself, how you treat others, how you hear yourself, how you hear others. When we live as the awake, the fully embodied expression of this awareness, not as a concept, but as our living direct experience, the wellspring of compassion that we touch inward, you can only live from that place. You can only live from the compassionate heart. When we are aware of change that only and always is, we become powerfully inspired to live alive. You will be, you'll develop a different relationship with time you will cultivate a deeper relationship with integrity with your own soul. As Wayne Dyer says, you will refuse to live and let your music or your song die in you. Yet we are not in, we are not in a culture that gives us these messages as continual reminders. So it's up to us to be responsible for this education for ourselves. And to more importantly, practice whatever will uniquely afford you the ability to keep love and death on your very breath. When we keep love and death, right? We have this inhalation that is we are receiving. We are receiving the gift of the inhalation. That is a receiving. And our exhalation is an offering. We are continually in this receiving and offering every single breath. What do you want to hold on your breath? that will help you to remember 
so that these awarenesses can penetrate all the layers of your being and so that you can live as the embodied awake expression of it. When we live as the awake and embodied expression of the awareness of our own mortality, of impermanence, of death and dying, it doesn't create life as a bummer, <laughs> okay? <laughs> it actually creates more space for you to be as your own lightness of being. And where does the compassionate heart, the, the wise compassionate heart take you? To that secret place of infinite gratefulness. Awareness of impermanence, awareness, your own living embodiment as this wakeful expression of death and dying. opens you as the vastness of your gratefulness. That is the whole point of this journey. And the more we abide as this, as gratefulness, it's not even living gratefully. There's another step beyond that. It's living as gratefulness. It's where you have merged as gratefulness and what lives through you and is felt around you is gratefulness. That's one of the most powerful vibrations, one of the most powerful frequencies we can experience within ourselves. That deep wisdom of great clarity and discernment combined with the, with the vastness of our, of tremendous compassion opens us to living as gratefulness. Imagine for a moment how you would treat yourself, how you would experience the living moment exactly as it is, as gratefulness. That is a life worth living. That is the soul fulfilled. Because our souls are here to experience three things. The full embodied expression and feeling of freedom. Of self-expression and of fulfillment. There are three quotes that I want to share with you right now. The first one Oops, that didn't get saved. Well, it goes like this. <laughs> um, a woman working at hospice, she said to, to someone, 
what is it like to know that you're dying? And to which the woman very compassionately and very clearly said, what is it like to pretend you're not? The Buddha is known to have the expression of the only problem you have is the assumption of more time. And as I said before, don't die with your music, with the song of your soul still in you. We are here to live as the expression of our unique talents and gifts. Every single one of you here came into this lifetime already perfectly equipped with everything you need, with all of the causes and conditions in your life, the perfect plot, the perfect cast of characters to support your connection with what you are here to be and offer and share. As the embodiment of your enjoyment, your enthusiasm, and each one of you has a particular few unique talents and gifts that you either may be consciously aware of, or you're at the place in your life right now where this is a conscious exploration. I can promise you that the daily contemplation, the daily practice of being with your mortality and the mortality of those in your life. The, co oh, the conscious contemplation of I will have a final exhale and I do not know when. And so will everyone else that I know. When that becomes a part of your daily experience of life, it fully prepares you to live your life in a way that you may not have access to yet. Now you all know I love practices because practices is where we get to roll up our sleeves and really find our own way to direct experience. Concepts don't change us. They can inspire us. And what we want to do is train ourselves to take that which inspires us and turn it into practice. And this is a really fun part of, of, of any and all curriculum, I think, that, that, that we offer, is that I, 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 if I had any wish, it would be that you continue to make your direct experiences, your ahas, your epiphanies of a game. The game of how can I embody this? How can I live this insight? One of my teachers, Byron Katie, says, your realizations are only half born until they're lived. I like that. It's very true. We can have all the ahas in the world. And yet, if we don't consciously grab a hold of them, 
and then say, ah, oh, how do I live this? What would my practice, how can I deepen in this, right? What does it mean to, to, to embody something? Well, the image that always comes to mind is a big, beautiful vase of crystal water, crystal clear water. And you take the food coloring of your choice and you drop five drops in and then you watch it. That in itself is a powerful uh, observational meditation. I used to do this in my Montessori classroom many years ago. And that was the activity. We just sit for 15 minutes. I mean, we were, the children were mesmerized. <laughs> you watch the infusion. That's what daily conscious practices do. They infuse all your layers. You imbibe fully what it is you, what like first captures your attention. Your body is a tuning fork tuned to truth. You all know what it feels like when you hear an aha, something speaks to you and your, your beautiful temple lights up in a, in a very unique way. So part of these conversations that we'll have together I will share a few suggested practices of ways to embody and infuse and imbibe these awarenesses. And you're invited to turn inward and find your own expression of it. All right. So I'll share, uh, I'll share one that I love. Um, I'm, I love sound. So one of my, uh, the, this I always wear as if we have a few things happening here. However, it does make this little jingly noise. Okay, and the, what I'll bring to your attention is, is this. This is a little coin. It says, memento mori. And that means remember your death. So every step I take, I hear the little jingle. That remind, it keeps it in my awareness. So I, I'm not saying go out and do that. Okay, I'm saying what would your practice be? What would you write on a post-it that would help you to remember to notice change? What do you imagine that could look like as you're walking about your day, driving around in your day? What changes when you scan and you recapitulate your day today? What did you notice already? What could, in hindsight, could you say, Ah, that helps to inform me more deeply about my own impermanence and about the impermanence of others, about the impermanence of my home, about the impermanence of every single thing in my life. There is nothing we can hold on to except Connecting to the aspect of ourself, our pure awareness of being that is permanent and unchanging. That is also what happens the more you focus on, and this changes, and this changes, and this changes. My goodness, how much of my life goes to that which is impermanent, always changing, and nothing I can hold on to? If I were aware of that, where would I actually want to place my attention throughout my day? Upon what would I 
be more inclined to place my attention on. If I lived aware that everything is like sand through my fingers, how would that inform me? These are the kind of personal questions, insight questions, contemplations. I highly recommend that you take out into nature. Everything about life, death, and the awkward phase in between, right? Birth, death, and the awkward phase in between <laughs> is taught to you when you spend time in nature. There's no aspect of truthfulness that is not reflected back to you eventually in nature if you spend enough time there and you pay attention. That also has been part of my practice as a death educator and allowing me to just deepen in. I do my, I, I won't teach you anything that isn't a very dear personal practice of mine. So, you know, even when I needed to be at work at 7.30 a.m., I got up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning to make sure I had at least a half hour to walk outside, get clothing for all the weather, <laughs> right? So there's no excuse. <laughs> um, spending at least 45 minutes in nature every day in some way is a game changer in the arena, in your own personal journey of living awake to your own impermanence and to the impermanence of others. Nature will reflect back to you every truth you are ready for, like it or not. And it's okay to have any reactions, emotions that go along with that. Give that to nature too. Help me to integrate this. This is so painful. Please help me to live this. Please help me to integrate this. I don't know how. And I yearn to. It scares the shit out of me. Please help. Ask for what you want. And be available. Say, I don't know how to do this. And I'm available. Guide me. Guide me. How does noticing changes outside of us bring us into the awareness of the truth, the, the unchanging, permanent aspect of what we are. Remember, our soul is here on this journey from egoic tendencies that I don't remember what I really am, all the way we are ideally on the journey of all the way to our essence, to remembering and embodying what we really are to remembering and embodying what we really are. The whole journey is designed for us to experience that and to live that. So once we get the futility of trying to resist change, 
because that's what we do. We resist it. We fight it. We argue with reality again and again and again. Once we surrender, we give up the fight. I just see the image of child's pose with surrender. Adyashanti says, until we fully exhausted ourselves fighting something, we really can't surrender. <laughs> we can surrender when we're done fighting. So keep noticing change. Keep noticing what you want to hold on to, what you don't want to let go of. Not only will that bring you in to the profound state of gratefulness and the ability to be in the full aliveness of the living moment, now a new space opens up for us to even connect with the aspect that we are that is permanent and unchanging and eternal. One of my dear teachers, Ram, calls that the awareness, the pure awareness of being. That aspect that you are, that which you are, that is permanent and unchanging. We cannot think our way to that. That comes as direct experience. However, if so much of our effort and energy and attention is quite innocently focused on that which is always changing, awareness of being is like, well, I'm, I, I'm not on a time frame, so I'm, I'm going to just let you do you <laughs> in the Maya, in the, in the confusingness of this. And hey, you know, I'll be here because I'm the one that's looking through you anyway. So it can sometimes find you as a radical awakening. And that is only one perspective. And I really invite you to, to bring that question into your own personal contemplations. What, what, what does it afford me? I, I invite you to start journaling daily, making this a daily practice. And what did I notice today? What did that afford me? These kinds of practices and contemplations bring us in direct communion with the voice of the friend, capital V, capital F, that is always communicating with us in the space between our thoughts. I'm not suggesting you think more. We don't need to think more. I'm suggesting you take some of these, these questions, drop them inward and listen. Listen in the space between the thoughts to be informed by your own instinctive and inherent wisdom. No one here has more or less wisdom than another person. The game is to catch the wisdom in the space between your thoughts. And that's another thing that spending time in nature affords you is spaciousness in the spaces between your thoughts where you can hear wisdom and it's succinct and it's truth-filled. You'll feel your body resonate with it. That you'll have these, in, these internal ahas and these dots will connect and they will humble you. They might weep through you and that will change 
how you treat yourself, how you relate to yourself and others and the world. So here is a suggestion, an exercise that I'm going to invite you to do after this conversation. Okay, so let me just describe it. I'll say it twice. So just you hear it the first time and then I'll say it again. Okay, so you don't have to write it the first time. Imagine uh, taking a piece of notebook paper, folding it in half or a line down the middle. Two column chart. On the left column, you title that column, how I imagine I might treat myself if I lived as the awake awareness of my own impermanence. The right column, oh, I just saw a new design. Okay, so it's a line down, up and down, and then at the halfway point, it's a line across. So we now have four quadrants, okay? So it's okay, if you just did the line down it, that's okay now. Put another one at the halfway point across, okay? So the upper left box is, how would I treat myself? If I were to live as the awake and embodied expression of what we've been talking about, of my own impermanence. Yeah, you hear my crickets? <laughs> I'll tell you why I have crickets, okay? Because it is like, feels like negative seven out. It's not because I live in a tropical warm climate. <laughs> Oh yeah, Deborah, they're real. Okay, so we've got what's happening in the upper left quadrant. The upper right quadrant is how would I, how do I imagine? This is, that's a keyword. How do I imagine I would treat others if I were to live as the awakened embodied expression of my own impermanence and awareness of the impermanence of others? The lower left quadrant will be something to the effect of what do I allow to sabotage this? Or what barrier gets in the way? What barrier within myself gets in the way? That's the key, not an, not an external barrier. What barrier from within sabotages or gets in the way of that? And then the same question over in the right quadrant. What barrier from within me sabotages what's up in the upper right quadrant? Does that make sense? I'll explain it again, okay? So the upper left quadrant is how would I treat myself and others if I lived as the awake expression of my own impermanence and the impermanence of others? The right quadrant, how would I treat others if I lived as that? awareness. Lower left is we're going to take what's above and say, okay, now what within me prevents that? What's the barrier in me that has me like not living that? What's strong enough to knock me out of heaven or awareness? I consider awareness and heaven synonymous. And then again, the right lower right quadrant uh, what what within me is a barrier or do, do can sabotage that? Again, this is just so you get to know thyself. Know yourself. Because what does awareness do? It affords you choice. Awareness 
affords you choice. Awareness affords you the ability to choose something different that we don't have access to when we are unaware. Our reactivity, our fear, our anxiousness comes from not being aware. We're not, not having taken the time to integrate. How do I live this? Okay, so those are the two in, those are the four essentially insight questions I invite you to work with. Between now and the first Saturday in March, when we'll be back here together. Okay. Now here's a practice that I want to uh, uh, share with you. So I shared with you, this, my personal practice is the awareness, the, um, just uh, I shared it before, is there's a mantra. Um, my mon one of my mantras is, have God and death be on every breath. That's for me. That may not, you may not like that. I love it. I love it. Because it, it impacts the insight questions of how I treat myself and others. And it impacts how I live my life. It informs profoundly how I live my life. Um, one of my personal practices is the practice of memento mori, which is awareness of death, as well as the mantra of, I have God and death on every breath, awareness of God and death. I tend to have God on my inhalation and death on my exhalation because I will have a final exhale and I don't know when, as will everyone in my life. That for me is an uplifting practice. I'm not saying go do that. If it doesn't feel right or good for you, don't do it. Please only be at free choice in any of these practices. Here's a second practice that I love, that I cherish, that informs how I live. Start to look at and relate to everything and everyone around you as if you might be seeing them for the last time. Start to look at and relate to everything and everyone around you as if you might be seeing them for the last time. Now, if that practice brings you to immense anxiousness, I would rewind and just focus on noticing change. Go gently with these practices. Find your own, uh, like when you order food and they say, do you want spicy level zero to five? No level is better. It's like nobody gives you an award for doing level five chili peppers. Nobody cares. Literally nobody gives a shit. So same with these practices. Find what is, what is, what grows you and stretches you. Find the practice that is the right fit for you. Just like you're putting on a, a good sweater, but not so good that you'd fall asleep in it. Right? You want a good, comfortable shoe. So that's the practice you find. So this is sort of like a next, it's like, okay, you want to dial up the practice a little? Make it your daily practice that, oh, I might turn off my computer. May never work again. 
Am I cool with that? Oh, shoot. Nope. Don't have that backed up. Right. So it will inform you when I get in the car with my son on when I drive him to school. Just secretly and silently. It's not like we do like a ritual together in the car. Right. Secretly and silently. I just get present to my home. And I'm so grateful. This is how gratefulness will inform you. Grateful for my home. I drive him to school. I don't assume when I come home, my home, my home will be there. Very likely will, and it might not. Start get start living free of the assumption of anything. And see first how your mind handles that. And be very tender and very patient. Greet everything that comes up in your mind. Greet it in the same way a very loving, caring mother would welcome any child. Please only honor any, anything that comes up in your mind with tenderness, okay? With gentle compassion. For some of you, these, this may be the first time that you're really consciously taking these practices into your, into your life. And they can move you very quickly internally. So that's why I highly recommend you, you track and journal and list what's arising in your mind. Otherwise, it swirls around. And that's what can create anxiousness and anxiety. So when you put your mind on paper... When you list what you're noticing as a result of these insight practices, you can attend to your mind with generosity, with presence, with clarity, and with tenderness. Now, What's interesting about this practice is that it opens you to a few things. It will deepen you potentially in immeasurable gratefulness. When you live as that gratefulness, it will change how you experience and relate to and respond to the living moment as it shows up in your life without resistance. Number two, when you live as the awake expression of, I assume nothing is, will be here later, tomorrow, next week, it affords you a new way to relate newly with everything. To relate as if it's also the first time you're being with something. That is the other side of that equation. When we become non-resistant and fully aware to, I can't, and, and can't, I can't hold this, and I can't hold this, I can't hold this, that surrendered humble state allows you to relate to the living moment newly. It puts the magic in what formerly could have been perceived as the mundane the expected, the routine. I hope that makes sense. Okay. All right, friends. 
So each session for Death Talks, I'll have a different topic. I won't always know ahead of time what it is, so I, I, I won't post it. It will just be, a, if you like this topic, very likely you're going to like the talk. Okay. <laughs> and if that's not your style, you know, um, we'll, we'll make sure that, uh, or you can't attend for some reason, we'll make sure that, that the bulk of this conversation is in the podcast and that we know how, that you know how to find it and that you can share with others. Please consider joining the Death Talks Facebook group. It's a private group. Um, we can share what I'm most interested in using that group for is you sharing what's opening for you from your insight questions and your practices. Okay. That's what I'm interested in because when you do these practices daily, it transforms your relationship with yourself, others, and the world. So um, what I'm going to do now is say thank you. And I'm more than happy to stay on and answer any questions or reflections about specifically what we talked about tonight versus branching off into another topic. Um, you all were so generous when you registered by saying what it is you're interested in, in discussing in these conversations. So I've, I'm informed by you, the topics that are interesting to you, right? How do you talk to others who are who are dying? How do you, uh, many of you are in our nurses in hospice. So I'll make sure we do a talk about that really soon. How to talk about death and dying with others. That's a big one. Family members. How as parents, do we teach death and dying to our children? And I'm going to tell you, often it's through insects. Okay, so that's just a sneak preview to that talk. <laughs> oh, yeah, honey, if you could put a link to the Death Talk Facebook group in here, that would be so sweet. Um, okay, I'm going to tell you really quick why there are crickets. Real crickets, if you can hear them in the background. The more you become attuned to the voice of the friend in the space between your thoughts, you're not only receiving guidance and direction, not only receiving truthfulness, wisdom, and insight, you'll also receive simple directions. Again, all the voice of the friend is always succinct, very succinct, just a few words maximum. Like that's a monologue if you hear if you get three words, right? Turn left is a full set of directions. <laughs> All right. So one morning in the space between the thoughts when I'm doing the dishes, I I'm washing out a um, honey jar. Now, the setup here is that it takes uh, a couple of minutes for uh, the hot water to come up because I'm really far away from the I don't know, maybe I guess it's the hot water heater. And I'm I'm in I, 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 I've got some things to do. So I'm like, okay, I hear the, I hear the command, simple directions, uh, clean the honey jar. And I know it doesn't mean like a lazy swish and put it in recycling. I know it means like to clean a honey jar. It means I have to wait two minutes for hot water and I got to, you know, fill the jar halfway, put the lid on, shake it vigorously to really get it clean. So I put the jar down. I wasn't interested in those directions because I wanted to go do the next thing. And I hear it again a second time. I hear clean the honey jar. I hear, I, I have the grace of hearing it twice. I know I've experienced what happens. Well, you just experience what you experience. You learn what you learn, right? But I know, and I know now 
listen. <laughs> so I cleaned the honey jar. We're probably a little late for the next thing. I think I was taking my son to school. No, 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 he had a fever. And I wanted to get to Green Star to get him grapes because red seedless grapes are cooling. That's it. I, was, I wanted to get going to Green Star. So I get going to Green Star, get my grapes, get a few more groceries. You always, when you go for one thing, you come home with a bag of groceries. Yep. It's a great co-op. So it happens. So I bring my bag of groceries in. I put them down in the corner of my kitchen. And the dogs come running over because I have some roast beef in the bag. And their little snoots are hot on the trail of roast beef that is nose level. So now I know I've got not long to get the roast beef out of the bag. Otherwise, Nugget's going to have the roast beef. <laughs> He's going to run off. So I now know it's clear what I'm doing next is putting the groceries away. Put the roast beef away, put the cheese away, put the other things. And the bag of red seedless grapes. They're beautiful grapes. They're organic from California. Wow. Like really firm, hard ones, you know, like supreme red grapes. So I pick up the grape in that exact moment and out of the corner of my eye, I see a shape on the outside of the bag doing a little dangle. My subconscious registers more quickly than my conscious mind registers because the next thing I feel is I feel my hand being moved to the cleaned honey jar that's right in the dish rack that was that's bone dry and clean. I grab that jar, pretend this is the bag of grapes, and I take the jar and I go boop and scoop up the shape, press it against the jar, press it, the jar against the, the bag of grapes. And in my little jar, is a teeny tiny little black widow spider. So the more you become attuned, these practices, awareness practices, allow you to hear what's in the space between your thoughts. It allows you to hear, and then you're a choice if you do it or not. Right, so now I've got this little black widow spider in a jar. I tried to give her to Cornell University to see if they wanted her. They did not, <laughs> nobody wanted her. She's got a terrible reputation, this, this little gal. <laughs> so the next thing I know is I'm, 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 I turn inward, I'm like, well, what, what, is, what is there to do? Everyone ends, everyone I write to or call ends with, I'd kill her if I were you, right? Or I'd freeze her, the most compassionate, which it very well, very well might be. And if I heard those as my simple directions, I, I would have honored it. That's not what I heard. I heard something different. So um, I heard care for her, make her a home. And I'm not, this is not my style, friends. I'm not like one of those like, ooh, I think it's cool to have venomous animals as like a pet. I don't, she's not a pet. She's, 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 uh, there's some deep medicine happening here. And um, so she's now in a beautiful habitat, a condominium. 
And the crickets are her meals. And every day I, I as part of my, you know, I, I just meditate and I sit with her. And, and she, I, I, I'm learning tremendous, uh, tremendous insights from her. The most important one being that everyone has their place in the play. And when something, it's, it's true, her true nature is her true nature. Her nature is her nature. So how can, there's always a way to honor the nature of another and to do so safely. So she's in a very safe habitat. It's a two inch plexiglass house that if it even fell over, she, you know, it won't crack or break because most of the habitats were glass. And so um, the crickets go in with her and there's a whole process around that. And, and that is, ah, her name is Indra after Indra's net. And her middle name is Charlotte after Charlotte's web. Salutations. And Charlotte's Web was one of my very first favorite children's stories about death and rebirth, right? Because Wilbur loves her and it's like devastated. She's, he has to say goodbye to her. And she makes the egg sack and Templeton goes to the fair and the whole, the whole thing, the whole bit. Highly recommend parents read Charlotte's Web to, their, to children. It is, it is absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, she is a symbol of, of, of death. So she, she showed up, it was quite, it was, it's quite potent medicine. We have to allow ourselves complete grief, not partial, not inhibited, not hidden, like full out grief because loss, change, death, happens around the change of a job. If you lose a job, if you retire, your children go to school. I remember I had a profound moment of grief uh, when I, would, I was reading to my son. I remember this distinctly. And I, I looked at his hand. I saw his hand out of the corner of my eye and his fingers were thicker. And I, I felt the, the tears rising up and I'm like, well, I'm going to pause the tears and bring it back into my meditation later so I can really be with the fullness of what wants to move through me. Grief is an energy. It is an instinctive, it is an energy and an instinctive response to change. We suffer with grief because we don't allow its fullness. Our grief is oftentimes a dialogue of resistance versus being with what is and allowing the energy. It is profoundly healing. We are hardwired with this brilliant mechanism of leaking. We Grief weeps through us. We want to give ourselves to the fullness of those moments because there's something that clears on the other side. The, the pain of releasing a fantasy of a continued future in the form with the person that we're used to, right? We have to, part of the pain of grief is releasing the fantasy of more with the person in the form that we're used to. So one of the things that will inhibit grief is when something is not reconciled. 
So we'll do a segment of, and this is why I, this is honestly one of the secret reasons I do Sacred Sunday every Sunday. We've been doing it for almost six years now because the Sacred Sunday journey at 1030 gives you the opportunity to reconcile with those in the unseen realm. If anything has not been reconciled or with family members that you're estranged with, once we've reconciled something, we free up the ability to fully release grief, the energy of having to let go of that which didn't become. And then our attention can now turn to connection with those we cherish in the new form that they exist in. See, when our mind is very much occupied with the pain of not getting more of what we wanted, we, we miss how to connect with them now in the new form. We're, you're Im we're embarking consciously now in a process, right, of contemplations that you're going to see which ones are the right key to fit in, the, in your lock, right? So that's why insight questions are so invaluable. They help to unlock our resistances, our barriers, and open us to simple directions, which is instinctive wisdom. That is to be lived. It's going to inform how you're living truthfully, powerfully, clearly, gratefully, deeply, presently. And it's a journey. And so you just, just like you said, oh my gosh, I had this thought and then I saw this barrier and then it informed me, I don't want to give my attention to this. I want to give it to what matters. So it's informing you, it's working perfectly. And you're just going to become more and more conscious of your own inner dialogue inner resistance, where you can surrender, what you want to hold on to. You're just aware, aware, aware. And compassionate and tender with yourself along the journey. And that's, friends, my, 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 my wish for you all is that whatever spoke to you in this conversation, you take time to recreate it in your own language, right? Because that's how you integrate. That's the, the food coloring in the water. You're like, ah, it's the dots are connecting. Uh, not to generate more worry and concern and grasping, but to show me, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Why not? Why not your home? It happens to people's homes. Why not yours? So the point of that is to bring you into exactly is the, I don't have control of everything that I want to think I do. And I and if I try to hold on and I, I spend my life trying to hold on to any things that I have no control over. What One of my dear teachers, two things we have control over. One, where we place our attention. Two, what thought we water. Do we give the first thought a second thought? That's it. That's it. You know, that's exactly exactly the point if if for those of you who really want would like to take on re, re, like learn deepening in the relaxing of control uh the book by michael singer the surrender experiment is really wonderful and it's on audible too he wrote the untethered soul like maybe 20 years ago and this is a newer book it's called the surrender experiment really wonderful so friends, I look forward to see you in a month. If you'd like to share more about how you're integrating these practices or your reflections or your charts or your insight questions, your contemplations. And I'm, I'm so, so grateful. 
to get to be here with you. Um, this is uh, one of my favorite topics in the world to, to talk about. So, um, so thank you for first doing this yourselves so that we can just by, by, by how we live in relationship to impermanence, we can start to live as that out in the world and it will catch on. Others will be able to start to be with it themselves.